The bottom line for this evil one is I will make myself like the Most High. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And by the way, that temptation to be like God is the same temptation he threw at Adam and Eve. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Pastor Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior teaching pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. For several months now, we've been looking at the book of Revelation, and we find ourselves in chapter 12, verses 7 to 10 this week, which deal with a war between the angels of God and the demons of hell. As we join Dr. Brogy, he'll be giving us some insight into the devil, as explained by the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 28. The book of Ezekiel is kind of a, he's a synoptic prophet of sorts where he, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, tells us much about what is going to happen at the end of time. In either case, in Ezekiel chapter 28, we learn something about the fall of this one called Lucifer. The word Lucifer means a light bearer or a shining one or literally the sun of the morning. And the devil, of course, is called Lucifer before he falls. He has no natural light in himself. He's like the moon. The moon has no light in itself. It reflects the light of the sun. Even so, Satan was called and created to reflect God. Now, to set the context, as you read Ezekiel 28, the first 10 verses describe a king that was alive in Ezekiel's day. He's the king of Tyre. And Ezekiel is called to go and to preach to him and to warn him to take up a lamentation against him. A lament in the Bible is when someone, either God or God's people, are in grief over sin, over death. And so we have the book of Lamentations, as it's called in the Greek Bible, in the Greek Septuagint. Well, here in verses 1 through 10, Ezekiel is lamenting because this king claimed to be a god when, of course, he was only a man. But then in verses 11 to 19, the prophet Ezekiel described the king that in no way could refer to any human king. The king that described, that is described beginning in verse 13, appeared in the Garden of Eden. That wasn't true of the king of Tyre. In verse 14, this king has been called the anointed cherub. That's a term for an angel. This king had free access into God's holy mountain. That's a reference to heaven. Verse 15, it says that he was blameless or sinless from his creation. That could be said of no man. So beginning in verse 11, the prophet Ezekiel continues to speak about the king of Tyre, but he's looking past him to the power behind his throne. And what we find is that he reviews Satan's career, not only in the past in terms of how he fell, but what is going to happen in the end, which John is going to detail for us. And so in verses 11 and 19, there's no way it could refer to any human. It's just like when Jesus addresses Satan in Peter, and he says directly to Peter, Satan, get behind me. Well, even so, Ezekiel is addressing Satan, who's at work behind the king of Tyre. He's speaking of this ruler who was judged for his pride, and he was motivated by the exact same sin that made the devil the devil. And that's why theologians and pastors and commentators almost unanimously agree, though liberals in our day are dismissing it, but all the church fathers who followed after the apostles, they have one unanimous voice that this is a reference to 
the fall of Satan. How would they have known it? Not only by the simple reading of Scripture, but they would have understood that that's how the apostles taught it. So with that said, the prophet is describing this dark prince, and he describes him in three specific ways. First, notice in verses 11 to 15 that Satan was created in perfection. He's created in perfection. We read here in verse 11, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you have the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. By the way, this blows away a common fallacy where people think of Satan as both ugly and stupid. Again, sometimes he's pictured as a guy in a scaly body with cloven feet and a forked tail. That actually pictures, that's a representation of the god Pan, some of you were with, his, with me in Israel, and 12 days ago, we, we stood at a place where Jesus in Caesarea Philippi asked, who do men say that I am? It was a place where the god Pan was worshipped. And if that old ugly statue were still standing, that's what he would look like. That's how he is portrayed in ancient literature. The Romans and the Greek worshipped this god Pan. Well, Satan is not some ugly creature. He's beautiful, and he's not stupid. He's incredibly wise. Look at verse 13. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering on the day that you were created. The devil is created, but God did not create a devil because when God created Satan, he was an angel. He was a cherub. Sometimes people will ask me. Recently, someone wrote me to my website, and they said, where did the devil come from? And how did, why did God create the devil to begin with? Well, God didn't create the devil. God created him perfect in beauty. He is full of wisdom. He is the anointed cherub. So he did not create him as the minister of evil. He created him perfectly, and he was the crowning achievement in the angelic realm who led the other angels in worship. He's in an exalted place. He's in Eden, the garden of God. Eden, according to Genesis 2 and 3, was the epitome of God's beautiful creation. And Satan was a reflection of that very place. Every precious stone adored him. And nine of the stones are named, nine of which are on the very breastplate that the high priest would wear into the temple. He has these precious stones. Now, we think of the name Lucifer, and we think of it as kind of evil. But actually, that's his good name. Lucifer is not an evil name. That's just a common misunderstanding of the Word of God. That's his beautiful name. That's his magnificent name. It sounds evil because of its immediate association with Satan, but that was before he fell. He was a bearer of light. In the gold, verse 13 says, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created, they were prepared. The word settings and sockets is used in the Hebrew Bible to describe musical instruments. So I think actually the King James captures the Hebrew a little bit better. They render it in gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in thee on the day that thou wast created. 
Lucifer did not need an instrument to praise God, for his pipes were prepared in you. They were in him. He was an instrument. He was like a great pipe organ that led the angelic realm in worship. You're in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. His garments were decorated in an exquisite way. Again, he's the apex of God's beautiful creation. And this particular angel had certain duties. Verse 14 says, he was on the holy mountain of God. And you'll see that phrase, holy mountain of God, throughout the Old Testament. It speaks of God's rule, of God's authority, of God's government. He not only ruled in Eden, he had access to heaven, the holy mountain of God. He was the prime minister, I suppose we could say, because Paul reminds us that angels are ranked and organized. He was the prime minister of the angels that worship God, of the cherubim, the cherubim. You were the anointed cherub. Cherub is the singular of cherubim. There's no such word as cherubims any more than there's any such word as deers. And if you want to know how many cherubim, in Hebrew, there's a singular, which would be cherub. There's a dual, and there's a three or more. In the garden, when man fell, God placed cherubim, and it's a dual, which tells us there are two holy cherubim. And cherubim praised and defended the holiness and magnificence of God. And that's what Satan did. He led in that. I placed you there. You're on the holy mountain. You walked as a leader in the midst of the stones of fire. Again, a reference to God's holy angels. Look, someday I'm going to that city. It has real streets of gold. It has real walls of gems. Its foundations are, are, are made of jasper. And here was this cherub, this anointed cherub, who's set apart for God's purpose. Verse 18 says, you profaned your sanctuary. So he's like a priest serving in a sanctuary, but he rebels against God. That rebellion in verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Remember, God created Satan. He's no co-equal with God. There are not two forces that are at work in the universe. That's the pantheism of the creator of Star Wars, the good force and the evil force. That is far from biblical theology. And unfortunately, many children are being confused in our day by those movies. Don't ever think that from everlasting to everlasting, Satan has existed. He was created, and he was not created as the devil. He was created as the star of the morning. Lucifer became Satan, the father of night. And the problem with a lot of people today who fail to understand that Satan was created is that they don't understand that the God who spoke him into existence will someday speak him into oblivion. I was wondering this morning how many people really know who is going to win the battle. I hope you know. It's the Lord Jesus, and that's the point of the revelation. He is going to be victor overall. So Satan is created in perfection. Secondly, he was corrupted with pride. He was corrupted with pride. We already noted verse 15. We read, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in him. What was that unrighteousness? Well, 1 Timothy 3.16 warns us not to put a new believer 
in a place of leadership. Why? Lest they become conceited or prideful and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And so it was the sin of pride that made the devil the devil. Look at verse 16. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. That was it. That was pride at its worst. Just like the traders in Tyre, Lucifer's trade was to focus all of the praise and all of the worship to God Almighty, but instead he let some of that praise stick to his own fingers. Verse 17 says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Again, it was pride that made the devil the devil. He thought, sure, God ought to get glory and praise and adoration, but why does he have to get it all? Why can't I have some of it? And if you get nothing else out of the message this morning, just remember that God did not create the devil as the devil. He created him as an angelic person. And if you've taken the course on angels, which most of you haven't because I gave it 20 years ago, but it is online if you want to study it. But we saw that angels are persons. They're not human persons. They're angelic persons. And one of the attributes of personhood is a man and an angel has intellect, creation, and will. And so the devil was not some puppet. He was created by God, and he chose evil over good. It was conceit that led him to be the devil. Now hold your finger here and go to the book of Isaiah. Turn back a few books to the left, to the book of Isaiah. I don't think there's any slides for these, so you might want to turn there. I think you'll find it helpful. If not, just listen really carefully if you can't find it. Uh, The way I always kept the prophet Isaiah and Ezekiel together in terms of the fall of Satan is Isaiah 14 describes the fall of Satan. And what's 14 times 2? Yes, 28. I, I put that in my mind when I was 18 years old, and I've never forgotten it. Maybe it will help you. I don't know. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14 is the same story, but this time it's the king of Babylon. And as in Ezekiel, if you simply apply the rules of Hebrew grammar, then you have to take the plain, normal meaning of the passage, and you discover that the latter verses can in no way apply to a human being. Let's pick it up in Isaiah 14 and verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. The King James says, O Lucifer. Now, unfortunately, some of the newer translations have taken out what we call the vocative. You see that word, O? Um, it's translating depth of emotion. And some of the new translations just leave it out altogether. Oh, Lucifer, star of the morning. That was his pre-fall name. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. Satan fell from heaven. He was cut to the earth where this great cosmic Drama is taking place in the heavenlies. And beginning in verse 13, there are five I will statements. You should circle them because they underscore Satan's pride. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. 
Lucifer already had access there, but he wants to ascend to heaven to take the place of God. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Now, other scriptures that we study, like in Revelation, tells me that the stars of God are the angels in the context. And he was already, in one sense, above the angels in his position as the anointed cherub, but he wanted to take the worship that they were giving to God. He said, I will sit on the Mount of Assembly and the recesses of the north. Throughout Scripture, the Mount of the Assembly, or maybe better rendered here in the King James, the Mount of the Congregation, he was seeking to usurp the praise that was due to God. He says in verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 150 times in the Revelation, and we're going to see this, especially when we come to Revelation 14. The clouds are in reference not to literal fluffy white clouds, but to the Shekinah glory of God. The bottom line for this evil one is I will make myself like the Most High. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And by the way, that temptation to be like God is the same temptation he threw at Adam and Eve. Eat of the fruit. God knows you will be like him. And so Lucifer, the son of the morning, became the father of the night. Now go back to Ezekiel 28, 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. Now look carefully. The implication is that he still is beautiful and he still is wise. But now he has a warped wisdom. Now he has a blemished beauty. Don't miss it. He's not some stupid person. His wisdom is real, but it's warped. His beauty is magnificent, but it's blemished. And of course, he's not the scaly monster that people want to make him so that you won't believe in him. No, the Bible describes him as a magnificent creature. In fact, in describing his camouflage to the Corinthians, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 11. He's describing the false teachers of his day. He says, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's talking about preachers who say they're men of God. How do you know? How do you know I'm not one of those phonies? Hmm? Sola Scriptura in context. That's the difference between a fake and the real thing. I've been crucified by evangelicals for making statements about Andy Stanley, but it's all coming true. And how very, very sad. Sola Scriptura, the devil uses the Bible, but he uses it out of context. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Look, if Satan were to walk in this building today, we'd say, wow. What a magnificent creature, an angel from heaven. And with divine logic, therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose ends shall be according to their deeds. He's talking about Satan's servants. And Paul reminds us that very often they are in the church pulpits of America. Many will go today and will not listen to a man of God, but a servant of the evil one. People will go hoping to get a word from heaven, but they won't. Listen, he is the source of the spiritual battles that are going on. I was being interviewed this week by a Christian organization for their radio podcast, and 
And I said, look, I'm all behind you in terms of get out, register to vote. Vote intelligently. I don't think God's called us to live in some kind of a stained glass prison. He's called us to be salt. He's called us to be light. And I think one of the great sins of our day is many Christians aren't registered to vote. And then those who vote, vote in ignorance. They don't vote intelligently. But listen, the problems this nation is facing are not political. They are spiritual. We were reminded again this week. You know, I was a scout. I grew up. I promised to be morally straight. Said it every week, the scouts pledge. Not only have they endorsed homosexuality, but this week they said as their jamboree where they bring thousands of scouts across America in July together, they'll give condoms to all the boys. Look, there's an evil that is going on in this nation that is beyond explanation. It is spiritually rooted. And Ezekiel understood this when he addressed the king of Tyre. He knew that there was one behind that throne. He's created in perfection. He's corrupted with pride. But then Ezekiel underscores, he's condemned to perdition. Look at Ezekiel 28, 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you by the multitude of your iniquities and in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you and I have turned you to ashes on the earth and the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified and you will cease to be forever. Now he's not just looking at the past. He's looking down into the future when Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. John will elucidate that for us in Revelation 20. This one who's created in the highest place is headed to the lowest place, to hell. And let me remind you this morning as your pastor, hell was never created for people. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Now, you can go to hell if you choose to go to hell. But if you go to hell, you'll be an intruder there. Because God didn't make hell for you. He made it for that devil and his angels. But don't think for a moment that God ever created someone to go to hell. That is a distortion of Calvinism. Even John Calvin didn't believe in double predestination. And if you go to hell, it will be all your own fault because you rejected God's provision. And we read now back here, Revelation 12. Now, I took the time to go through this. Because why? John assumes in Revelation 12, 4, you have this theology. And we live in a day of total biblical illiteracy where 80% of Americans can't name more than four of the Ten Commandments. And so I took the time to go through that so that you understand what is going on when he says here in Revelation 12, 4, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. By the way, if this number bothers you that a third of the, the angels that were created in perfection fell and rebelled against God, just remember for every fallen angel, we still have two good ones, all right? Now, beyond the Satan's past fall from heaven, I want to conclude with Satan's future fall from heaven, Satan's future fall from heaven. Now, much to many's surprise, John reveals a future battle that is yet to take place in heaven, and he underscores three truths about this battle. First, the participants in the battle. We read in verse 7, and there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. 
the dragon and his angels waged war. Now, before we move on to the end result of the battle, we're informed as to who's participating. There's this one called Michael, of course, who's on God's side. And names are very important to God in the Bible. Many of the names that God gives of himself tell us what he is like. And of course, God, the Bible tells us, has every star in the sky named and there's hundreds of billions of them. I can promise you if God has every star named, which the Bible says, he has every angel star named as well. Someone called on the Bible line not long ago, and they said, do we know how many angels there are? And my response was, well, I can't give it an exact number, but I can tell you right now there's a lot. Do you remember when we were back in Revelation 5 and verse 11? I know it seemed ages ago, but let me dust off your mind. John writes, then I looked, he's talking about the throne room of God, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. This verse says myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Do you remember? That's the same description of the throne room that Daniel gives in Daniel chapter 7. Let me read it to you. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were open. Now, the word myriad is kind of like the word tithe in both Hebrew and Greek. It's a mathematical term, just like a tithe literally means a tenth. The word myriad is a Greek and Hebrew mathematical term that in both languages means 10,000. And so the King James and the ESV interpret it. They say, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, and the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And of course, the number given in verse 11 is even larger because beyond the myriads and myriads, there are thousands of thousands. So the word myriad means 10,000. And understand, too, that unlike we have the word trillion and million and billion and I don't know how far they go, quadzillion or whatever. But the largest unit, mathematical unit in the ancient world was a myriad or 10,000. And when you wanted to describe as in many pieces of literature outside of the Bible that I read this week, you wanted to describe a number that was just beyond count, being able to count. You said myriads upon myriads. So if you just take it literally, 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. That's a pretty big number. And then you have thousands upon thousands in addition to them. And this is just the throne room of God, remember. In addition, you have all those angels that are out on duty, holy angels, we'll look at some in just a moment, who are out waging war against fallen angels. Then beyond those angels that are out in spiritual battle, some are here today, the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians 11, they're watching us worship. You know that? You're being watched this morning. You ought to pay attention. You ought to be good now. They're learning from us, the Bible says. The congregation is a lot bigger than you realize today. Add to that, Matthew says, Jesus speaking, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that there are angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. People sometimes say, do children have a guardian angel? The answer is no. They have guardian angels. 
They have more than one angel. Of course, they need them, some of these kids. Look, if there's 1.9 billion children on the earth, and that's what we're told, and each have at least two, then you have all the angels who are at warfare, the heavenly places, and all those in the throne room. What I'm trying to say is myriads upon myriads is an impossible number to count. And out of this incredible number, the revelation reveals to us that one-third of the angels of God rebelled against the Lord God. To listen again to today's message, The War in Heaven in its entirety, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and asking for program REV29. Tomorrow we conclude our look at the war in heaven. Join us then as we search the scriptures.